Welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, today we have special guest as Stan Holt, who is Batesville Chief of Police at Batesville, Indiana. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for asking me to come here today. Well, this will be fun. And uh, uh, Stan, where were you born, grade school, high school? I'll ask a few questions going after that. All right. I was, I was born in Lawrenceburg, and I spent my entire life around the Milan area, out on a county road out north of town, grew up out in the county and uh, attended Milan schools and graduated uh, from there and went on to uh, Vincennes University and went through their law enforcement program there. And uh, when you were grade school, high school, did you all want to be, always want to be in law enforcement or did you have other ideas? Well, you know, I was, no, I, I didn't know that I would get into law enforcement. And in fact, in high school, you know, if, if somebody told me, hey, you're going to end up getting into law enforcement, I'd probably laugh and say, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and really for no for no particular reason. But uh, as I was getting close to my senior year is whenever I started really serious, uh, seriously trying to think of what do I want to do with the rest of my life. And uh, and so I had an uncle, my dad's brother, Tom, who was in law enforcement, Um and up until then, him and I, we weren't real close, but that, about the time I became a senior in, in high school, I started talking with him more and more and started feeling like maybe I do have a little bit of an interest in law enforcement. And so I ended up um, attending Vincennes University for conservation law enforcement because um, growing out, up out in the county, I always enjoyed the outdoors and the hunting and fishing and, and all that. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll look at maybe going into the conservation officer and being a, uh, being a CEO. Um, and then so then once I got into the program at Vincennes, I enjoyed it, but I think I started figuring out pretty quickly that I more so enjoyed just the law enforcement aspect of it. And and while I was attending um, school there, I became even closer uh, with my uncle that was, was doing it. And so I would do ride-alongs with him and talk about the classes that I was going through. And he'd start telling stories. And then eventually I, I kind of felt like, yeah, that's that's the path that I'm going to go down. Okay. And uh, so Vincennes, you were there, was it two years? Four two, year, two, two years. Two years? Yeah. And uh, from Vincennes, did you get a job in law enforcement? Yeah, so um, as I was winding down at Vincennes, I uh, took a job at the Ripley County Sheriff's Office uh, working in the jail. And, uh, and then uh, when I finished up with Vincennes, um, I started putting in some applications with law enforcement agencies and Batesville had an opening. And I really didn't know anybody with the Batesville Police Department. Um, you know, I grew up around Milan, wasn't yeah. real familiar with the Batesville area. Um, but my uncle had kind of guided me in that direction and said, you know, Batesville would be a, a great police department to work for if I could get hired on up there. Um, so Dennis Walpe was the police chief at the oh, time. Awesome. And uh, so, I, and actually I applied um, two times. I applied the first time and I was, I think, like the, the top two, uh, and they had another uh, individual that applied that had already had the law enforcement academy, so they hired him first, and then about three or four months later, they had another opening come up. 
and uh, so I was 22 years old at the time, and uh, so that's when I come to work at Batesville. Then what year was that? 1992. 1992, that's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, and this has been it? for I've all been, those years? I've been with Batesville for 31 years. Okay, so uh, were you married at the time? or No, not at the time. Uh, I got married in 97. Okay. Um, and then in 2002, um, we had twin girls. Oh, wow. Uh, so they were born in 2002, and so they've been a blessing and kind of just, uh, they're kind of, what makes my life go around is, is uh, my family. Yeah, I mean, we have seven kids, yeah. and uh, six of them were born in eight years, mm -hmm. and my the baby uh, just turned 48, and he's four years mm -hmm. off of the other six, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, our oldest just turned 60 mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, I always told my wife, I said, man, Putting up with me and all these kids, you, I said, your love will be the second assumption. <laughs> and, uh, it, but uh, it, it's great, you know, family. I, twins, uh, we almost, we, we have Irish twins. One, mm -hmm. one was born in uh, January and one was born December. Mm -hmm. so. And that's the same with me, me and my sister. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, do you come from a large family? Uh, or just four. Four. four I've, I've got two brothers and a, and a sister. Yeah. Well, our first three were girls, and the last four were uh, boys. And uh, it's uh, it's been a ride. Mm -hmm. You know, 18 grandkids yeah, and wow. seven great grandchildren. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so it, after you started with Batesville, uh, when, when did you, were you on patrol right away, or how did that work? Yeah, so so when I started out, I worked um, work patrol um, uniform shifts, working um, primarily second shift. Uh, but I kind of figured out pretty quickly that working on the criminal cases was what I got the most enjoyment out of. And uh, so I started attending... Um, more trainings, more in-depth trainings on uh, doing criminal investigations, and, and uh, that was just really kind of the, uh, I felt like my niche in my career on, on working on criminal cases. Were those online classes or physical? No, they, they were um, uh, going to the classes or, you know, kind of really classes kind of uh, primarily in Indiana, Indianapolis. Uh, uh, they did a, a lot of the trainings up there, but then just kind of in the tri-state area, northern Kentucky, and uh, at one point, the Indiana State Police had developed a, a program, and it was a five-week uh, crime scene investigators course, and before then, a lot of the agencies would rely on the state police to uh, when they had a major case to come in and, and help out with on the evidence collection and, and kind of coordinate things on your big cases. And I became really good friends with the state police guy in our area, Ed Lewis, uh, who worked out of the Versailles Post. And Ed uh, was just a great teacher, uh, just, just really, really a good guy to want to uh, teach the younger guys 
And so he had talked to me and said that the state police had just developed this program that they was going to open it up to law enforcement agencies outside of the state police to kind of help uh, relieve some of the caseload that the state police was doing. And so, so they was taking recommendations from their crime scene people, one uh, officers on local agencies to, to attend this course. And so Ed had recommended me for that and I went to that. And, and so just uh, going to, you know, as time went on, going to more and more classes. When I first came on in 92, um, our agency pretty much relied, at least for the bigger cases, for the state police to come in and investigate the major cases. Um, so down the road, you know, as time went on, I became our detective for the department. We have one detective, and and so I came on in 92, and in 97, that officer um, left our agency and opened up that detective slot. So I was all about it. I, I put in for it, and Dennis uh, Walpy had put me into that position, and my goal was to get us to the level where... Um, other officers on the agencies got more on the agency got more and more and more training too, so that we could take care of these the major cases um, primarily on our own, and then still work with the state police as a partner if we needed any of their resources. And so that's that's eventually where we got to. Well, when when you were doing this, did, did you ever think, well, I'm getting all this training, but Batesville, Indiana. It's not a crime-ridden town, <laughs> and uh, or, or and it's, but were you committed to stay at Batesville, or did you have thoughts about going to state? No, no, you know, and I've become you know some of my friends that worked at the state police over the years, earlier in my career, and they'd talk to me about that, and you know one of the biggest, I think with working the criminal cases, you know you get to deal more one-on-one. -on -one with the citizens in your community. And just the, um, it, there was just a, you know, you really um, get a lot back from, you know, when you feel like you've made a difference in somebody's life. And, and so we, we typically, most of our crimes weren't like major cases, but we would, you know, a few years ago, you know, back then it seems like we would have a couple of armed robberies a year a lot of our cases was mainly theft cases. Um, every once in a while, we'd have some of the residential burglaries, but not a lot, mm -hmm. but enough that you could do to keep your your skill sharp. Um, and so I never, I really never had the desire uh, to go anywhere else. It was just you know the things that I was wanting with Batesville. I wanted to be able to continue getting lots more training. I liked working with the citizens. Um, I kind of felt like I was you know, would be rewarded for um, what I was going for the agency. I kind of, throughout the years, when rank positions would open up, um, I was successful in going, you know, climbing up the throughout the different ranks. Um, and when I made, when I became our detective in 97, to me, I, it, I, to me, I couldn't imagine having a job that I enjoyed any more than what I did with that. It was just, I really felt like I was just, you know, and absolutely where God wanted me to be. Yeah. I just, there were so many cases that I got to go to people's homes, sit right there at their table and talk to them. And there was just, um, it was just for me, I, I felt perfectly satisfied working the small community, working with the citizens. When uh, you said, you know, a couple armed robberies, uh, were those people from somewhere else, not in Bates? Yeah, most of the time. 
um, it was, you know, somebody had come in off the interstate yeah. and um, we'd have the gas stations get robbed or even, you know, sometimes some of the other businesses. Very, you know, over, over the years in my career, I only remember maybe two times that we had somebody that was somewhat local yeah. that did, uh, that committed an armed robbery. Yeah, I remember uh, we, we built a home here and... Uh, we moved to 76, and I think it might have been 77 or 78, uh, Dan Hillenbrand's house was burglarized mm -hmm. with him and his wife there, mm -hmm. and they tied him up yeah. and everything. It's just, yeah. And uh, when the old BP was uh, an Amico station and Helmick had it, I, I believe he was not only robbed, but they took him in the car, drove down 74 and dumped him mm. out. He wasn't hurt or anything, yeah. but they wanted to make their getaway. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can, those are the only two major things. I imagine a lot of it's drugs and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, I think that drugs certainly plays a, a yeah. big part of it, yeah. And I mean, I, I I just can't. I just can't imagine how people get hooked on that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Go have a beer or something. You don't. Need oh, I know. That. Yeah, it's it's an addiction that they get wrapped up in. Yeah, but why did they even yeah, start it? That, that that just it always yeah. puzzled me. It, it it me too. And you know, a lot of times they talk about the gateway drugs where you take a a teenage kid or even adult that's you know at a party and and they. You know, if they're drinking and, and somebody offers them pot and they smoke pot and people's like, well, that's really not that big of a deal. And, but it's, it just keeps on kind of going in that direction, yeah. you know, where they just continue to, to try a different drug. And, you know, I've dealt with many, many families over the years that have struggled, you know, with, uh, with their kids or a family member having an addiction. Yes. And, boy, it just really puts them through a lot. Well, I mean, some people... It's in their system, whether sure. it's gambling, yeah. drugs, alcohol. I mean, they, and it's uh, to me. I always thought, well, don't you have any willpower? But it really doesn't work that way. It it doesn't. You know, and I know that you know whenever they first start down that path, they're you know they make that decision, but then once they get addicted. There's there's very few success stories. Yeah, there I mean just it's really is. well it's it's hard for someone with that type of personality and and they're addicted. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's just awful to try and yeah. get out of it. It is. Yeah, but I had a I had a fellow worked for me for years, just great guy, great mechanic. I I had several businesses in Cincinnati, and uh, he managed one of my service stations. He never played cards in his life. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. gambling wasn't his thing. He um, went to a casino one time with his wife. He got hooked on gambling. He lost his IRA. He got, wound up with a divorce, lost his home. Uh, he died uh, several years ago, but when he was in his 70s, he still was working. He was, I think, repairing hunter alignment equipment. Uh, 
and he was working so he could go gamble. And and, he, yeah. and I talked to him and he said, I've tried everything, so I can't stop. Mm. And he says, and when I'm winning, he said, instead of walking away, I wind up losing it. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, and you know, this guy's bright, bright mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. Uh, and just one trip to the casino turned him into mm -hmm. a, 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 just a gambling yeah. nut. Yeah. I mean, and it was so sad. And, you, you know, I could watch his health deteriorating over the time. And he'd, uh, I had a kind of motorcycle shop up in Greensburg, and he stopped up to see me one time, and I could hardly recognize him yeah. because it, it just played mm -hmm. on him physically yeah. and eventually mm -hmm. killed yeah. him. So it's uh, but the uh, so how long did you stay as a detective? Um, for uh, let me think here from '97 until uh, 2007, it's 10 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any without naming names, any cases that? you investigated that were really difficult to come up with the perp? Um, the, you know, the armed robbery cases, you really had to put a lot of work in those cases. And um, so, you know, and so, you know, it was kind of, you know, working with our partners over in the tri-state, either at Cincinnati or, or Indianapolis Police Department, you know, those cases um, were not easy cases to solve and, and to try to get them guys identified. And, and so most of the time on the robbery cases, and I tell our guys here, you know, that's on our agency now, that you just really got to work hard on them every little lead. Sometimes the smallest thing comes up that that's, solves the case. I don't think we've ever had like an ongoing crime that's been going on where we've just, you know, we've had some residential burglaries where they've, they've hit a few, but then we've ended up, you know, eventually making arrests on them. But I don't recall any, any cases that it was just like... What led to those arrests? Um, you know, with, with te technology and stuff on... The residential burglaries, I think that what's one of the best things that's ever come along with technology is these door uh, ring systems that not only captures them on the video, but also alerts the home owners that, you know, if they're not there, that somebody's there at their front door. You know, it's got the motion detectors. And so I think that the technology has played a big part in kind of reducing those kind of crimes and uh and so you know we worked with you know a couple of years ago we had a quite a few residential burglaries that was going on out in the subdivisions and then some some of them in the uh, uh some of the side streets here in town uh and i think our suspects on that case we we'd identified a suspect uh and then ended up, they got caught in the act up in Greenwood, Indiana. And so we had been working with them, and they had been watching for this vehicle, and it ended up in their neighborhood up there. And, and so they was already 
had the heads up that these guys are that are being looked at as burglars and Greenwood wind up catching them in the act up there um, and that solved I'm thinking we may have had 20 or 30 residential burglaries they came in and and they can hit a lot of homes in a short amount of time but that one was uh, like I said two or three years ago that we had that and it was by the use of technology that really kind of helped us get get these guys yeah. somewhat quickly and the burglaries were all when residents weren't Res home. yeah residents weren't home yeah. yeah yeah wow it's well you know right now it seems like in the big cities he's I mean, the, the real thugs, the violent ones, they're in and out of jail all mm -hmm. the time. But they, they get released and they mm -hmm. commit the same crime over and over. And uh, some of the ideas on law enforcement in these big cities is, is a joke. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... I. I don't know. I don't know how they can retain, mm -hmm. you know, police officers. Uh, a buddy of mine, he he died uh, a few years back, but uh, we went through grade school, high school together, and uh, he was captain on Cincinnati Police Force. His name was Gary Neville. He has, I think, three of his kids are on the Cincinnati Police Force. His one daughter is Hamilton County Sheriff. Oh, wow. So it, I mean, it, it just runs in the family. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, and he's probably rolling over in his grave. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Cincinnati's yeah. like the OK Corral yeah, now. You yeah. can, all these kids are killing yeah, each other. Yeah. It's, just, it's just crazy. You know, we're really in a uh, pretty good part of the country right here where we're at around Batesville for law enforcement still been a job that you can enjoy and you know one of the things that I noticed over the last couple of years when the crazier things got uh, got around the country and people would see things on what's going on in the other big cities it seemed like more and more people locally would approach us and just thank us for what we would do mm -hmm. for what we do or or if we're in the coffee shop want to buy us a coffee and um, you know, I remember a few years ago, the, there was an FBI agent that I was friends with that worked out of the Muncie office, uh, and he had to come down to Batesville for something, and, and so we had a pretty good working relationship, just if, if we ever needed something, we'd, I, he was kind of my contact, and anyway, he came down, and, and we had lunch at a restaurant here in town at the, the Big Four Cafe. And while we were sitting there, we couldn't hardly even carry on a conversation because people kept coming over and saying, hey, yeah. you know, um, thank you for what you do. And and, and uh, somebody came by and said, hey, don't worry about your lunch. I'm going to pay for your guys' lunch today. And and after three or four people come over, he kind of laughed. He said, if I didn't know better, I'd think you had this staged. Yeah. And I said, no. I said, that's just kind of, you know, in a, in a small community. I think, you know, a lot of people are just... Uh, very thankful for their law enforcement and, and just, you know, we have a good working relationship with them. Well, I've always made it a point, no matter where it is, if I'm in a restaurant, yeah. I've always paid. Yeah. If, if six or seven guys yeah. are sitting there eating, they're yeah. all state police or, mm -hmm. you know, I'll pick up the tab. Don't don't tell anybody. I say, here's money, yeah. here's a tip for them. Yeah. And uh, did the same thing for military. Yeah. And, I, and I think that Law enforcement, I know, really, really appreciates it. For for me, 
you know, you get caught up sometimes with all the negative stuff towards law enforcement, then you can run into somebody like that that's just really thankful yeah. for what you do or they want to buy your meal or coffee. And it just it just kind of reminds you of why you got into this job. You know, you, yeah. want, you know, you should have got into this job to be able to help people, to help them get through different situations in life and to... Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you too, I, uh, you know, I concealed carry. Uh -huh. I, I usually, if I'm in Cincinnati, I'll have a, a nerdy look of things called hide and plain sight mm -hmm. holster and I'll, and I'll mm -hmm. carry a nine millimeter. Mm -hmm. Uh, my my Kroger gun is a little LCP in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I know a couple of people that open carry, mm -hmm. and I've even told them I said, you know, if there's ever some crazy, and he sees you with mm -hmm. your first target. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I I I, I can't I can't comprehend why anybody. Once now, if you're in Texas and you go and there's ten or twelve people, right. you, you know, because I mean, a, a guy has to be crazy in Texas to mm -hmm. try rob yeah. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I could, I've never understood that. And uh, yeah, and, and I agree with you on that. I think that's a big part of it is is you know where you're at. You know, and here in Batesville, Indiana, if somebody goes into a restaurant into a store and or somebody comes walking in and they see you know an open yeah. somebody open carry it, it makes them a little nervous a lot of times makes them a little Absolutely. bit nervous and and you're exactly right too if you know if somebody comes in and is planning on doing you know robbing the place and they see somebody with that <laughs> it, it may deter them or you or it may make them the first target yeah yeah and i and you know the uh uh, I, I get this NRA magazine mm -hmm. once a month, and for years there's like two million reported uh, incidents, home break-ins, you know, carjacking, I think, mm -hmm. where a gun has actually saved people's mm -hmm. lives, and this is just mm -hmm. once sure. reported, and, uh, and and you know, a lot of a lot of people won't even have a gun in the house, mm -hmm. although they're uh, more than 50% of the population mm -hmm. are gun owners. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why there'll never be mm -hmm. an invasion sure. in this country sure. with 350 million guns out there. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I often wondered, uh, there was an old joke, and it's uh, this, this woman called uh, 911 and said, uh, Someone's breaking into my house, and the 911 operator said, "Well, do you have a gun?" She says, "No, I don't believe in them." And the 911 operator said, "Well, I hope you believe in God because we're 15 minutes away." <laughs> <laughs> so, and and uh, I, but now I I think on the book that the one book that I published, Batesville Shooter and Friends. My pre-sales were 35 percent of women, hmm. and when we years ago, Indiana concealed carry wasn't recognized in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. So we had a home in Florida. My wife and I got a concealed carry permit in Florida because there were 
I think it covered 37 states at the time. And now pretty much, other than the Washington, D.C.s and Chicago and New York City, you know, you, pretty pretty easy to transport a weapon. Uh, but at the time, they had a two-day two day class once a month in not, in not Panama City Beach, but in Panama City. And I talked to the uh, fellow that was putting on the class, and he said that 35% were women. And, and this has been probably 20 years mm. ago, 25 years ago. So 35% mm. at that time were women. And the biggest increase in gun purchases to, uh, you know, segment of population is women. So. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. Yeah. The, yeah. the only problem is a lot of women, and we're going to try to address this at our, at our show, the only problem with women, it's either a husband or a boyfriend tells them what kind of a gun they should have. And, and when I had women training classes, uh, well, I told this one girl, I said, you, you can't own a slingshot. <laughs> You're danger to yourself yeah. and everybody yeah. around. You can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but some recall didn't bother them. But some were dead. I, I'd go from a 22 to a 380 to a 9 millimeter. I wouldn't go beyond that. Mm -hmm. And um, some actually were better with a 9 millimeter and a 22. But my theory has always been if if the recoil bothers you and you can't hit anything with a nine millimeter or a three eighty, mm -hmm. they've got twenty two defensive ammunition. Mm -hmm. They've got I, I've got a Sig Sauer that uh, has holds twenty rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get a thirty round mm -hmm. magazine yeah. for it. And uh, the only thing I wouldn't recommend, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware, like a 22 Magnum, the flame it would put out in the mm -hmm. house, you couldn't be able to see through the smoke yeah. for a second <laughs> shot. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but I, I, I think that women have to, before they buy a weapon for themselves, if it, whether it's concealed carry or and not just women, anybody that's mm -hmm. not familiar sure. with guns, they should go to some place like, not have to buy there, but you know, the rusty buck here, they, right. they've got an archery range, but not a shooting range, mm -hmm. it's too expensive to build. Yeah. But on target in Cincinnati, they usually have seven or eight lanes. Mm -hmm. uh, they can go down, pay, pay rent, get a few little instruction, try different mm -hmm. guns, you know, where, you know, some people got small hands, some mm -hmm. people got big hands. Uh, uh, Smith & Wesson makes a easy slide mm -hmm. uh, pistol now, and so if somebody's got arthritis real bad and mm -hmm. can't jack that round, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and if they want a revolver and the recoil doesn't bother them, Smith makes a great 357 mm -hmm. 8 Eight round revolver. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of a lot of different choices, 
And uh, I, I, I just, uh, I, I think people have to be concerned the way crime has increased. And, and it's big cities, it's not mm -hmm. here. But you never know when it could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think they should. Mm -hmm. and, and just practice once a month. Just go someplace and practice. But, uh, yeah, you know, and so I told you that I've got twin daughters, and, you know, and so they've always shot since they was, you know, you know, they started up out with us setting sandbags on the picnic table and laying a rifle across that and them shooting it. And, um, and so they've shot, you know, I've, you know, I just kind of found that, you know, different ones they was comfortable with some they are some they're not and so i kind of let them kind of shoot different ones until yeah. they kind of figured out which one they was comfortable and so when they turned 18 you know i bought each one of them uh you know little sig 365 nine millimeters yeah and they like shooting them and um of course you know they've always enjoyed the hunting deer hunting and everything and so it's they've they both got rifles and so they they enjoy the oh, outdoors yeah. and enjoy shooting well, yeah, it, uh, on all the women classes that I've held, well, we, we go through a safety program first. I make them read a little booklet, mm -hmm. uh, show them proper finger yeah. placement on the trigger yeah. and everything. But when we're done, I always say, now, before you leave, would, would you like to shoot an AR-15? Mm -hmm. Well, you would think they were asked to go to the prom. Yeah. <laughs> and I... They had more fun mm -hmm. shooting, because I've got several, but mm -hmm. 200 yards, I got scope zeroed in. They were hitting four and six mm -hmm. inch steel. Yeah. You know, it just, they just got a big bang out uh, of that. And it's, uh, uh, it, it, I think my days of the classes are over. Yeah. I'm getting too old for that. And I con got a bad knee and the concrete yeah. bothers me yeah. standing in one yeah. place too long. But uh, it's nice. So. After your 10 years as a detective, what was next? Well, so we, everybody knew that um, Dennis, our chief, back in 2007, you know, middle of 2006, he was letting everybody know that he was retiring in 2007. How old was Dennis when he retired? Uh, probably 52, 53, around in there. And, and so 52 in law enforcement, you can, you've got to have at least 20 years in and you can start, you can start drawing your retirement at age 52. Oh, really? And so, so Dennis had always, you know, was, you know, smart with money and stuff. And I think he was kind of like, you know, I think he put in 26 years and I think he was just, you know, ready to kind of be done with it and, you know, just so... 26 years was enough for yeah. him and so he was talking about leaving and I you know I uh, I just figured I'd finish out my career as a detective that's what I like to do that's what I felt like I was the best at that's what I felt that I could best serve our department as a detective um, and then you know one day uh, the the mayor at the time had a conversation with me and you know and asked me what my plans was for the department and would so, that have been bill appointment no it'd been rick flatterman rick flatterman and, and so okay. rick had asked me he said hey you know dennis is leaving he said where do you see yourself with the with the department and i said 
probably as the detective. That's, that's what I enjoy and have done it for the last 10 years. And so after that, you know, I, after he'd mentioned that, I kind of thought, kind of seems like he, he didn't ask me if I was, you know, or say that he was wanting to make me the next chief, but I, I feared there was a reason why he was asking me. And, and so I remember, you know, talking to my wife and saying, hey, I had a conversation with the mayor and he was, he's asking a few questions. I said, I don't know if it's something I'd be interested in or not. And so he'd had a couple more conversations with me. Um, and so it kind of got to the point where I thought, it sounds like I would at least be one of them that they'd seriously be considered about. And, and quite honestly, I, I, I had to put a lot of prayer into that. I, the, 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 the title really never meant anything to me. I just wanted to be able to best serve the agency yeah. where I could. And I just kind of prayed if that's, if that's where God wanted me, he'd put me there. Uh, but I enjoyed investigation. So whenever it came right down to it, you know, um, thighs ask, you know, at least go ahead and apply. You know, we're opening up the position and we want you to apply for it. And, and so I did. Um, and so they, you know, I was appointed as, as the next police chief. And um, the rewarding part of it for me, and I guess what kind of got me to the point of, of, of actually putting in for it was having you know being able to to take the department in a direction that you wanted to go i felt like we that dennis had done a great job we had a great agency um and i i wanted i kind of felt like i could keep taking things in a good direction continue to hire good people get them the training that they that they need and make the agency an agency that wouldn't just be a stepping stone where officers would want to, you know, start out at Batesville and go to the state and, you know, or wherever. Um, and so, and, and so that's what I've always done, you know, focused on hiring really good people, give them the training, give them opportunity to do what they're, find out what makes them tick, what they're passionate about, and let them do it, let them get good at it. Um, and so over the years, we've really not have a, had a very big turnover rate. We've had, you know, we've lost a few, but but not too many. You know, most of the uh, the guys on our department, well, at least half the guys on our department have been on been with our agency for roughly 15 years. Oh, really? So so you know, 12 to 15 years, at least uh, probably half the department has. And well, uh, when you were a detective. How large was the police force then, and how many uh, people do you have now? Um, so I think when I came on, I think I came on in '92, and I think we had maybe six. Yeah, I was going to say five or six. I yeah. thought. Yeah, and so we've got thirteen. Yeah, we got thirteen, and then we the school we have two school resource officers. They're actually employees of the school but they get their arrest powers i sign off on their arrest powers indiana code allows i, I didn't realize that. yeah indiana code allows um for them to work in the capacity of a school resource officer as long as uh the police chief will sign off on their arrest powers and they go through all the same training that we go through and everything and and so so we got 13 on our department and then two sworn officers that work for the school system. Okay, now working for the school system, uh, is high school basically? They, well, they, in all the schools, they, they, I think they primarily have one officer that is pretty much spends most of his days at the high school 
and then the other one spends most of his time at the middle school um, but then they'll go around to the primary and intermediate yeah. school and just kind of um, interact with the kids and um, so and and that's they they both do a fantastic job working with the kids and the school staff and um, working with us and making sure that everybody's on the same page if there ever are any issues that come up and so it, it works out good it kind of you know it kind of gives the the school age kids exposure to the law enforcement and makes them realize at an early age that you know we're their friends. We're there to help them that, you know, they shouldn't be scared whenever they come in contact with a police officer, you know. And so it's just to get them comfortable being around law enforcement at an early age. And so it's been a, it's been a really good program. We started that program about maybe about a year after I um, became chief um, was, I think, our first is when we first started the school resource officer program. Hmm. The uh, so safety protocol like for the schools now, because of all the craziness mm -hmm. in the country. Uh, after school's in session, are, are the doors locked? Yeah, yeah. They're all locked. Yeah. So they have to buzz to get in, mm -hmm. the intercom system. Yeah. And even a, even a primary. Yeah, and I think they have it set up where they can maybe be able to get into just a smaller, just into the very foyer area, the very first thing. But for the most part, I think uh, most of the doors are all locked. Um, and so then the school, and so we've always worked really close. You know, the school has their, in the event that they have something, they have their protocol that, that they follow. And then, of course, law enforcement has their protocol, and then it's just... You know, we, we, we work with them to make sure that both um, the educators and our law enforcement officers know what each one's going to be doing in the event that we have a situation. You know, it, I, I, I think it's great, but, you know, when, when I was a kid and when I was in high school, the doors were always open. Yeah, you, you it's just, just, it's just a different craziness. world. You know, it's, it's, there's, it's a different world even than how it was 10, 15 years ago. Things yeah. just keep getting crazier and it's you know it's you know it's it's easy to get complacent in the small communities where you do have a lower crime rate yeah but the law enforcement agencies and the school system have to be prepared they have to train they oh, have absolutely. to they have to be able to respond in the event that a situation occurs and um you know and the parents need to know that they're sending their kids to a safe environment um, so, so I, I wonder if the economy has, and uh, St. Louis has uh, set that type of a protocol. We, we have, the, the, they do have protocol on handling those things, and then we have, uh, we work closely with, like St. Louis School here in town, we, we work closely with them, and our officers will go over there too, and um and so it's, I, I think we all do a good job of making sure that everybody is, uh, recognizes what each one uh, will do in a situation. And a big part of it, too, is just having that working relationship that when, when there's something going on in, uh, in the school that causes a little bit of concern, they're they not sure if it's a red flag or not, but they're, they, they get a hold of us pretty quickly and say, hey, don't know if this is something to be concerned about or not, but... This is what we're dealing with, and so they they call us pretty quickly, 
and so we get involved and just make sure that you know there's nothing that's going to create a safety issue for anybody with any of the kids. I mean, kids are always going to do things and get in trouble and everything, but as long as they're not taking it to the next level yeah. where you feel like they could be a risk to the other students or somebody in their family could be. Yeah, I I can remember, you know, when we first moved here, and it was not so much in Cincinnati because, of, you know. Uh, kind of an urban type mm -hmm. of situation, but mm -hmm. I mean, kids would have rifles hanging in the back mm -hmm. of their pickup mm -hmm. truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those days are long gone, mm -hmm. I guess. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's are. crazy. The, uh, are, is your job today, is it mostly just covered up with administrative paperwork stuff? Or? Um, I wouldn't say that it's covered up. Kind of, you know, what I like to do is I like to get in the office earlier in the morning, make sure that there's, you know, anything administratively is taken care of. Uh, and then I get out in the community and I, you know, I, uh, with the number of years that I've been here with the community, I've, you know, know a lot of our folks here in town. And so I'll go out and, and go through the subdivisions and, a lot of times if I see, you know, one of somebody in our subdivision sitting out on our porch or something, I'll pull in the driveway, get talk out, sit and talk yeah. with them. Or yeah. if you know somebody that's got something going on, either a health issue or whatever, you know, it's pretty common that I'll, I'll stop out and visit with them for a little bit and talking with our business owners. And I think it's just, you know, a matter of being out there in your community, knowing your people, caring about the people yeah. in your community, uh, and just making sure that they feel safe where they live okay now uh, are all the officers and detective are, are they all supplied uh, a pistol yeah so every every officer on our agency is issued uh, two handguns one for a duty gun one for a backup gun yeah and then they're also issued a, a rifle, the, the patrol rifle that they keep in their vehicles. Okay, so what uh, what are you using? Uh, right now our duty weapon is a Sig Sauer uh, P320. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. And how about the backup? Uh, Sig Sauer uh, 365. How about the rifle? Uh, the rifles are a Sig uh I forget which model it was, but it's but it's, it's a six hour. It, it's hard. It's hard to be yeah. sick. Yeah, four hundred maybe. You know, I I know one time, uh, I've got seven Glocks and I hate every one of them. <laughs> the, the main reason their triggers lousy, their mm -hmm. sights are no good, mm -hmm. and if I go through two nineteen round magazines, I have to wear a hat pulled down, usually two, one, maybe one and one magazine, two and another one, come straight back and hit mm -hmm. me in the forehead. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, what, what, everybody else, you know, the ejection mm -hmm. goes mm -hmm. to the right, Glock, you don't know where they're yeah. going, and I don't care if you can bury it in mud, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I don't like them. <laughs> and uh, I'm definitely in a minority. Yeah. But, uh, and how often do you have to go to the range? Um, so under the guidelines for the Indian Law Enforcement Academy, they have a, uh, a course that you're required 
to qualify with, uh, and they, 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 you're required to qualify once a year, but we spend, we go to the range pretty often and, and we'll do our regular qualifying that the academy requires, but then we do lots of different drills, uh, and different types of training out at the range. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, and, and you know, the hardest thing that I had to deal with the women is to get their mind off of shooting at a bullseye. Mm-hmm. And I, I use, you know, targets mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. It, basically you got a kill section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I tried, I said, you don't have time to aim mm-hmm. if somebody breaks yeah. into your house yeah. and who's coming at you with a weapon. Yeah. I said, it's a point and shoot. Yeah. And the other thing that I've practiced, and I've seen it in movies a lot where somebody's going to the house and they got their, they got their pistol or revolver mm-hmm. hanging at their mm-hmm. side. Well, I've always felt that if you hold the gun up like this, you got one motion. Mm-hmm. I'm more on radio, or people can't see this. Have it up by your head because when you bring it down, you're, you're going to be on target mm-hmm. or you bring it up. It's mm-hmm. just another extra motion. And uh, and I've had people agree with me. I've had people disagree. What's, mm-hmm. what's your opinion on that? Um, you know, I would, and I think it's a little bit different with, you know, with the homeowner and stuff, but I do agree that the, the less motions you have to make on, on the, having to raise that gun up, you know, the, the better. And so with our training, it's, you know, it's when you're involved in a situation, you kind of keep your, you still kind of keep engaged with the target. And, and we do what, you know, the our reloads with our weapons still up where you can kind of focus on the target. Yep. And it's a little bit different with the homeowners, but I agree that kind of keeping the, the range, the motions, you know, yep. the fewer the better. And, and, you know, I've also had people say, well, I don't know if I could ever shoot anyone, but I, and again, this is just my opinion. I would think if you got some thug breaking into your mm-hmm. home and he's got a gun and he doesn't have a mask on, you got pretty good chances of mm-hmm. not walking away. Right. I mean, it's, uh, he's not going to want to be identified. Uh, and I, I, you know, if it's, yeah, I would hate to shoot anyone. Never had to in sure, my life. Sure. But if it comes to protecting myself and my wife, or sure. when the kids were younger, I mean, I would, I wouldn't have any yeah. regrets. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it's normal, you know, to have that thought of not sure if you could shoot somebody. But until you're in that situation, you know, you, you don't know. But yeah, I think that just by human nature, that protective instinct that you have yeah. to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. Uh, some people are comfortable with guns, some people are not. You yeah. know, if you're, you know, some people, no matter what you say or, or anything, they're just not going to be comfortable having a gun in their home, and that's that's fine. But I, I do encourage, you know, if somebody has an interest to, to really find somewhere to go for training, whether it be a family member or a friend or go to a, a place that provides the training. And it's all about being familiar with that weapon and in the event that you're placed in a situation that you have to use it, that you're comfortable um, knowing that you, you know, need to... That and, you yeah, and, and, you know, self, 
Self-preservation has sure. to come into I, You know, I can eat Bambi, but I can't shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but as far as somebody breaking into mm -hmm. a home sure. uh, and, and your life is at risk, mm -hmm. you know, it's, sure. it's unbelievable. Uh, I had, oh, this has been about three months ago, I had something went off, my alarm went off here in the building. And I was sitting in a chair, and for some reason, the alarm company will usually call, and I say, I'll just check it out. Mm -hmm. so, you know, because I figure maybe Mickey Mouse got in here and mm -hmm. uh, tripped something. But anyway, uh, two state police came, and uh, I walked over with them, we were talking, and and I, I told him, I said, you know, if you ever want to shoot your rifles, mm -hmm. let, let me know. Mm -hmm. I got a 200-yard range mm -hmm. out here. And it really, really nice guys. And they were here, I, I think they said it was four and a half minutes that they got here. Mm -hmm. And another time, the alarm in the house went off. I had a def defective thing that they eventually fixed. And this is several years ago. My wife and I were heading for Cincinnati, and I was at the Lutheran Church right by there. Got a phone call, your alarm went off. When I got back here, one county, two state police corps mm -hmm. combing the whole area, mm -hmm. waiting for me to go and open out. <laughs> You got here faster yeah, than me, yeah. and I was at I was uh -huh. at the Lutheran Church. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know, a lot of people don't realize it, it's like police, fire department. Unless you need them, mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, I, I think everybody does a great job. Yeah. In fact, Todd Shooty's coming out here mm -hmm. Friday because yeah. I can remember when we moved here. You know, the, the volunteer, I think Donnie Weigel was uh -huh, police yes. chief still. Fire and, chief. And uh, I've, I've looked at that equipment that they have. I mean, there's not there's not a speck mm -hmm. of dirt any place. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I've got an idea of what these cost. And I, I mean, it's mm -hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Just phenomenal. Yeah. So, but... Anyway, well, we're we're approaching an hour stand. Do you have any words of wisdom for anyone uh, before we close this out? Yeah, not not really. Not that I can think of. Just uh, you know, I appreciate you asking me out here today, and uh, you know, I, I love what I do. I love uh, being the police chief for our community. It's been a great community to work for. Um, just a lot of good yeah. good people in our community, and it's just nice to be able to. To, to provide a service uh, to our community to where our citizens can feel safe where, right. where they live. Well, you're not going to do a Mike Bettis on yeah, us, are you? Yeah, no. Retire yeah, early. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, it, it's really been fun having you, and I think we're going to uh, we'll close this out with the national anthem. And I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, uh, God bless you. God bless the United States of America, and I'll talk to you on the next podcast.